Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Grace Church this evening. Nice to see all of you here. We're glad that you could join us for midweek Bible study. Let me give you just a few announcements this evening before Pastor comes. First of all, we want to uh, remind you that on Sunday, February 19th, uh, that's this coming Sunday, there will be our annual business meeting in the A Center at 6 p.m. Also on Wednesday, February 22nd, that will be the last day, ladies, to sign up for the ladies' tea that will be held at the Cottage Tea Room on Sunday, February 26th. And there's been a category conveniently set up for you uh, on Easy Pay. The cost is $25, and that's for all of our ladies ages 12 and up. And finally, ladies, another announcement for you. March 9th through 11th will be Women's Conference in Tioga. So please make note of those things. And as always, you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Grace Church uh, via our new church app and clicking on the events tab on our website. You know, Jesus often quoted scripture, but only on one occasion that I can find do we find him actually selecting and reading from it. And what portion did he choose to read publicly? He chose to read from the scroll from Isaiah and we find it in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus stood in the synagogue on the Sabbath and read from Isaiah and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. So Jesus said, I'm, a, I'm here to give good news to the poor, not the rich, not the famous, not the put together, not the religious, not the successful. I'm here to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the ones still in chains, the ones who are still bound and still helpless. I'm here to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind, the ones who just can't fix themselves. I'm here to proclaim freedom for the oppressed, the outcast the disenfranchised, the ones who have been beat down and mistreated, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. That's who Jesus chose to spoke, speak to on purpose that day. I think that's significant. Y'all think about it. God bless you this evening. Good evening, everybody. It's great to see y'all here tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, for being here, certainly missed having church <clears throat> last Wednesday night uh, due to the weather. And you always feel kind of silly when you postpone church, cancel church because of the weather, and then nothing really bad happens. But I'd rather err on the side of caution and uh, rather be safe than sorry, right? But great to see y'all here tonight. And I um, always look forward to Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, this past Sunday was amazing. Uh, love to reminisce on Wednesday nights, especially about the Sunday prior. And uh, this past Sunday was just, to me, an amazing service, an amazing time to be in the presence of the Lord. And I'm so thankful to, to see just wonderful things happening uh, in and around Grace Church, uh, uh, just seems like the 
the atmosphere here, the, um, the environment is just getting better and better and better. And I'm so thankful, so very thankful for that. And I believe Grace Church is ripe for uh, legitimate church growth in a number of ways, not just numbers of people, but the lives of people growing more and more, uh, getting better and better. And I think we're really ripe uh, to see some wonderful, wonderful things happen. And uh, so stay prayerful, stay hopeful, and uh, we'll look forward to what God has in the very immediate future. Um, I want to go ahead and launch into Bible study tonight. And um, <clears throat> I've given certainly a lot of, of thought and, and time, meditation, prayer, etc., to this Bible study. I'm continuing. This is part three on the beautiness or the beauty of holiness. And um, uh, this will be a lot of nuts and bolts teaching. But I've given a lot of thought to it, a lot of consideration, and there's um, there's several statements I want to make. And I, I would like for everybody to at least remember this part, um, especially if you're in, on a leadership team and you want to recruit somebody to help in your uh, leadership responsibilities. And we have this happen often. I'd like to remind everybody tonight, and I've mentioned, I've, I've, I don't mention this a lot. I do one-on-one -on -one and certainly remind our leadership team as often as I can. But we have three levels in which, or arenas, whatever you want, words you want to put there, that people can come to Grace Church. Um, first of all, we have what we, people we consider to be attenders and this can be anybody. They can show up at Grace Church and they don't have to do anything. They don't have to participate. They're just an attender. All they do is attend and we have people that attend. They don't want to be involved in anything and um, sometimes they don't even embrace what we uh, teach and what have you and that's okay. We just ask that they not be destructive. Um, and I think that's fair. So that's an attender. A member can be those who obey our teaching when it comes to Acts 2.38, one God, etc. So we ask that people believe, embrace, etc. that there's one God, his name is Jesus, and that you embrace Acts 2.38, which is to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin, and then to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We ask that you be faithful in tithe, and if that's the case, then you're welcome to attend our four classes of membership and become a member of Grace Church. If you do not believe in one God or do not believe in Acts 2.38, you're certainly welcome to attend. But then leadership is the third uh, level that people attend church. And that's, of course, is to obey Acts 2.38, believe in one God, to be faithful to Grace Church, to tithe, um, and to embrace holiness. So those are the three levels. The, to be in leadership, after you go through the four classes for membership, we have another class that we require to be in leadership. And in that class, we teach what our holiness standards are in more detail than what I'll go through tonight. 
uh, but we'll teach that in one class, and if you're good with that and you live accordingly, then you're welcome to be on our leadership team. We've had situations crop up where uh, somebody will develop a friendship or with somebody, what have you, and either they don't believe our apostolic message or they, they don't believe in holiness, but they invite them to be in leadership. And we'll ask you not to do that. Um, check with me, check with the church office to make sure they've been through Grace Steps, which is our board membership classes, and that they've been through our leadership class. Um, that has to happen before they can be in leadership. And of course, you should know by now what being in leadership is. It's a function you serve in here at Grace Church that gives a title behind your name, either lobby staff, concierge, nursery, Sunday school, platform, musician, singer, uh, what have you. So if you have a, a title behind your name, then that leadership class is required. So that being said, I'm, I'm, I'm coming tonight, especially with this part of this study, um, I want you to, to notice tonight what the Bible has to say about it. And then think about, <clears throat> and this is what's kind of bearing down on me right now, is the people that no longer believe it, uh, believe in holiness, etc. I want you to notice how much Bible teaching is missing in a person's life when they don't want to embrace what the Bible teaches as holiness. It's a good portion of scripture it's not a part here and there it's not a verse mentioned here and there briefly but the bible is very specific and i'll go into more than that in just a second but the bible is very clear on some things and and there's a lot of particularly apostolic people that have just decided a lot of apostolic preachers have just decided i don't believe that anymore and it's it takes away such a content of the Bible, but it also takes away a tremendous conduit through which we have relationship with God. And that's why I'm so determined to maintain what we teach and preach here when it comes to holiness, because it is such an incredible conduit to know more and more about Jesus. And um, I'm very confident with that, and I, I believe the scripture, of course, backs it up. So to begin tonight, our, our study, I went through this, what I'm about to present to you, I went through it in part one, would be, I think, four Wednesday nights ago, three Wednesday nights ago. Um, it's on our website. You can go back and watch it if you want to. But I want to go through it again briefly so everybody here tonight will understand. <clears throat> there are many things in the Word of God that are taught and said explicitly. Uh, those of you that like to take notes, this would be a good part to start taking notes right now. Uh, there are many things in the Bible that are explicit. That means they are stated plainly. It's not an if, and, or but. It's, it's stated plainly. For example, the Bible teaches very clearly, do not lie. Do not bear false witness. It, it, it teaches us not to lie. That's an explicit teaching. The Bible also teaches for people to dress modestly. That's an explicit teaching. And I'm going to come to that in a little while. But it's an, an explicit teaching. It's stated plainly, don't lie. 
It's stated plainly in the Bible to dress modestly. These things are explicit teachings of the Bible. But then there's things in the Bible that are implicit. That is, the principle is there. There's a principle that the Bible is portraying. And because of that, you, you have to consider, because many things that are taught in the Bible is implicit, the Bible is, is not just a rule book for a particular age, a particular era, but it is for every age, it is for every era, it is for every race, it's for every country, it's for every culture. So if a person approaches the Bible as a rule book, and I've had people tell me to my face that I just don't like all the rules. Well, talk to the person that wrote it. I didn't write it. I'm not manufacturing these things. I'll give you chapter and verse um, as, as much as you would like. But if you, if you only approach the Bible as a rule book, then you could perhaps play games with it. But if you approach it with the attitude as, uh, such as what is the principle or what is the Bible trying to say or teach, then the Bible becomes alive. It, it has life to it and it becomes inspirational and revelatory. So let me give you some examples about the Bible teaching things that are implicit. It's a principle that the Bible teaches. <clears throat> the Bible says explicitly not to get drunk. The Bible teaches that. There's a lot of Pentecostals that thinks it's okay to drink now, and that's interesting to me as much as the Bible teaches about it. The Bible tells us not to get drunk in Proverbs 20, verse 1, in Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35, in Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, in Proverbs 23, 19 through 20. The Bible also teaches that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The Bible also teaches and goes on to teach that uh, not to associate with drunkards in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. So, the Bible also gives examples of drunkenness, and they're found in the story of Noah and his relationship with Ham, and also the story of Lot and his relationship with his two daughters. There's nothing good that the Bible has to say about people getting intoxicated. All right, that is explicit teaching. That is black and white, can't argue with it, can't fuss with it, even though people do. But there's an implicit teaching here. There's a principle here. The Bible does not say anywhere that I can find, doesn't say anywhere, not to smoke pot. So does that mean I can abstain from alcohol, but I can smoke all the pot I want? No, because there's an implicit teaching. There's a principle here. Again, if you take the Bible as a rule book, then you will assume I can't get drunk but I can smoke pot if I want to. But notice the principle. It's the principle is that God doesn't want you intoxicated or addicted to substances that abuse the body and that replace the satisfaction and fulfillment of God in your life. That's the principle that the Bible teaches. Does everybody understand that? To me, it's not that hard. I'm really gunning for these front two rows right here on each side. Um, the Bible teaches 
explicitly to not get drunk, but it also teaches implicitly not to give your body over to foreign governments or foreign substances, if you will, that will cause intoxication, you losing your senses, your logic, etc. cetera. Uh, the Bible said, point blank, be not drunk on wine as in, ex in excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. So the Bible is a book of godly principles, not rules. And again, people have confronted me on numerous occasions here at Grace Church that I'm just not interested in following the rules. I don't want to follow the rules. It's rules, rules, rules. It's not rules. I spent a good length of time Wednesday night before last associating our relationship with God to marriage. There's a lot of rules if you bring rules into your marriage, you lose the intimacy of it. You lose the romance of it. If you're only playing by the rules, you can do that without even loving anybody. The Bible teaches our relationship with God is based on the fact that we love him. And there's things that we will do because we love him. But understand, as it is in marriage, if you don't love the person you're married to, and you don't abide by marital common normal expectation expectations marital standards as one comedian said one time you'll end up not married and with only half of your stuff for those of you that didn't get that it's because your spouse is going to get the other half so where people feel like God's a God of love and I can be whatever I want to be and do whatever I want to be and all that. He is a God of love, but he does require some things if you want to be in a relationship with him that is normal when you want to have a relationship with God. You base your, your relationship with God on what the Bible teaches, not on what you think. Neither would you base your marriage on what you think. There's cultural norms. There's cultural expectations to marriage. And everybody thinks that's okay. But when it comes to relationship with God, we want it our way. Uh, please understand that. The Bible is a godly, is a book of godly principles, not rules. It's things that God expects out of you if you love him. And if you do love him, then there's never too much God could expect. Look what you are going to inherit one of these days. So with that little introduction in mind, and if, if I don't finish tonight, uh, Lord willing, we'll finish next Wednesday night, depending on the weather, I guess. Let's talk about holiness of flesh and spirit. The flesh being our natural body, spirit being our attitude, our mindset, our perspective, etc. Let's talk about holiness and spirit first. Because that's what the Bible does. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible said, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. That is, God allowed us to go through some things for our profit, for our benefit. Why? That we might be partakers of his holiness. So it's, the Bible does not portray men and women living holy because they are holy. The Bible doesn't portray self-manufactured holiness. 
It's not people walking around saying, I'm holy because I don't sin. That's not holiness. That just means you're not sinning. Holiness is from God, and the Bible is very clear on that, and I taught about that uh, Wednesday night before last. But I want you to notice this. Hebrews 12, 15, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I want you to notice the, 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 the statement, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. You'll notice that the first thing mentioned after verse 14 when he said to follow peace with all men and holiness, the first thing mentioned is the condition of someone's spirit or attitude. The Bible is portraying here to me that the first teaching is not your speech, it's not how you dress, it's not your appearance, but it's your spirit, it's your attitude, it's your mindset, it's your mentality, it's your perspective. If you get bitterness in your spirit, it will destroy every other aspect of your Christian lifestyle. That's why David prayed, clean, create within me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. You must develop the fruit of the spirit, Galatians chapter 5. You must develop, when you, as you become a Christian, you must develop the fruit of the spirit. There's nine parts of that. And a forgiving spirit. Those two things are required in our attitude, in our spirit, in our perspective, in our mindset, and what have you. If we're going to be a Christian, the fruit of the Spirit and a forgiving spirit, those two things are the greatest gauge, in my opinion. Those are the greatest two things a person can do in approach to Christianity. If you can do that and maintain that, then the rest of living for God comes easy. But if you can't maintain the fruit of the Spirit, and if you cannot maintain a forgiving spirit, it doesn't matter what else you do. It's not going to matter in relationship to holiness. So our attitude, our thoughts, learning to forgive one another, the fruit of the Spirit is holiness of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is holiness of the Spirit. If you want to know what it takes to be holy in your spirit, then engage the fruit of the Spirit. That's the gauge. Perhaps it's time for another Bible study series on the fruit of the Spirit. I hadn't done that in a while. Um, but you, you can't take what you think. You can't take what's convenient for you and then say, I'm, I'm holy and I'm good with God and what have you. The Bible teaches some things that are either explicit, directly saying it, or implicit, implying that there's a principle there that needs to be studied and embraced. <clears throat> so the holiness of our spirit is, as far as I'm concerned as pastor, is the top priority. If people are right in their spirit, everything else will be easy to deal with. But if you've got something that's not working on the inside, it's not going to work on the outside either. I don't care what you do. Uh, that's just the way it is. You've got to be right with God in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your attitude, etc. The second area that I will address tonight, and hopefully this is not too much of an issue here at Grace Church, but it's holiness in our tongue. Um, James said in James 
chapter 1, verse 26 or 27, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceives his own heart, and this man's religion is in vain. So if you can't control your tongue as well as your spirit, number two is your tongue. Pastor's favorite statement, if you can't keep your dumb mouth shut, it don't matter what you do with your hair and your dress and all of that stuff. It doesn't matter. Uh, these things have to be right with God. And again, much like being holy in your spirit, being holy in your tongue is a huge step in living a life that's pleasing to God. Our Christian lifestyle is manifested in our speech. It's not in just the words we say, but it's how we say those words. It's the attitude behind those words. And I believe this is why the tongue comes second after spirit. If you've got a bad spirit, it's going to come out of your mouth. It sure will. It'll come out of your attitude. It, it's somewhere along the line you will manifest. Uh, you will manifest a bad spirit. It's going to come out somewhere along the line. And for most people, it comes through their mouth. So James said, and you all know the scripture, but I'm going to take a moment here tonight to read it. In James chapter 3, he said, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we have, shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle or control the whole body or his whole self. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Uh, we have a few people here tonight that has experience in fooling with horses, and they understand the value of that bit in their mouth. A good horse rider will understand that. You can make that horse pretty much do whatever you want the horse to do as long as that, the bit is in his mouth. So you're controlling him with his mouth. Also, he said, ships, which though they be so great, so huge, are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned and guided by a very small helm, just a little old rudder underneath the boat, turning this way and that way makes it go whatever. Verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member, it's a little bitty member of our body, but it can boast great things. And behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. <clears throat> For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. I want to stop right here and say, this is my biggest reason I can find biblically that when a person receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they speak in tongues. Because at that moment, there is that part of your body that is submitted to the Holy Ghost that you cannot keep submitted your own self. God takes control of your tongue. You speak a language that you don't know. And you're submitted. Your tongue is submitted. And so God takes that part of your body and causes it to submit to his power, to his spirit, and to his will. The Bible said, "No, the tongue no man can tame is an unruly evil full of deadly, deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made out of, after the similitude of God, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. 
My brethren, these things ought not to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh water. So you, we all understand this tonight, but it, it, it needs to be said anyway. We all understand the power of the tongue. There's not a person in this building tonight that has never said anything you didn't regret. There's everybody here tonight has said something you regretted saying. If you've been married for any length of time, you've said things you regretted. If you've had a friendship with anybody for any length of time, you've said things you regretted. If you have parents, how many here tonight has parents? Sister Diane, I'd like to talk to you after church and just see uh, how things happen. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was looking for somebody. She has a good reason not to raise her hand. Um, but we've all said things that we regret, and it's because we cannot control our tongue. We can get a bad spirit, a bad attitude, and then rattle off at the mouth things, that, and 10 minutes later you're like, man, I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said it. Um, the Bible addresses explicitly people using their turn, tongue to curse, to slander, uh, to demean people, to, to put people down, etc., criticizing, gossiping, etc. These things, according to the scripture, is unholy to do. You're, you're, you can't say I'm holy when you do these things. So it's holiness in the tongue. So we have to be holy in our spirit and we have to be holy in our tongue. Everybody said amen. The third thing I want to mention tonight is holiness in the eye. Holiness in the eyes. The psalmist said in Psalm 101 verses 2 and 3 that I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. <clears throat> I understand we live in a, a crazy world. We're living in crazy times and you can't always control what you see on the job. You can't always control what you see in, in shopping at Walmart and the mall and wherever else you go. But there are areas that you can control what you see, and it begins in the home. Uh, there are things you can control what you see when it comes to your home. Um, I think if you know there's places of business that you can go to that's going to be not good because of what is seen there, shown there, what is practiced there, etc., then you shouldn't go there. Uh, if you know it, then don't go. There's restaurants that I don't think it's appropriate for a Christian person to go to because the people that work there don't wear enough clothes. And uh, I don't think I'm being narrow-minded along that line. I wouldn't want my daughter working at some of these places or my son working in some of these places, whether I was in the church or not. Um, so uh, if you know it's going to be uh, things like that, then I think you should shy away. There's a particular restaurant, and I'm not going to call the name of it, and I'm sure you all have heard of it, um, that they just, clothing is just not, there's just not a lot of it <clears throat> when you go there. There's a lot of food there, there's a lot of alcohol and whatnot, but there's just not a lot of clothing. We had someone at our church. They don't attend here. They're, as a matter of fact, they're no longer even living. Um, that tried to persuade me one time that 
said, Pastor, man, I went to this restaurant, and uh, the food was really good, but the girls there were like half naked. That was his words. And he said, I had no idea it was going to be like that. I said, well, why did you stay and eat? His response was much like yours. Well, I hated just to walk out. Sure, we're on board. Uh, I, I'm very confident the man did not repeat that after that. I think his conscience got a hold of him. But but if you know and are aware of something like that, then then just just don't go there. I'll, I'll go this far and say, if you like hot wings, I'd recommend Wingstop. <clears throat> Do I need to say any more? It is a necessity that your home be pure and clean for your sake and for the sake of your family. Not every book you read is healthy for Christian people to read. Not every television program is healthy for a Christian person to watch. As a matter of fact, I really can't think of any. I'm being very narrow-minded here, but I, I think it's, it's just nothing that attracts me to television. And I've taught for years, you need to learn when to turn it off or change the channel. All internet sites aren't good. Uh, all video games, you know, it, it, you, you have to consider, and we teach here at Grace Church to be modest, moderate, and appropriate. And here's where appropriate applies. You do in your home and with your family what is appropriate. And just because you're on vacation don't mean you leave your religion at home. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I met a man in uh, Gatlinburg one time that, man, he cursed and swore and cursed and swore about a lot of things. And um, finally looked at me and said, well, what do you do? I said, I pastor a church. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, I don't, I don't talk like this when I'm at home only because I'm a religious man when I'm at home. That's a true story. And he said, when I'm on vacation, I let my tongue go a little bit too much. I said, I noticed. So don't apologize to me. Apologize to him. He's, so uh, I've never forgotten that moment. That was real interesting. So when you're, you're a Christian everywhere you go, right? It's not a part-time relationship, kind of like being married. You're married everywhere you go. I didn't get a lot of amen on that, but I hope that's not an issue either. We have something else to teach if that's an issue. <clears throat> so, so holiness in the tongue and in the eye and in the spirit is so important. So let me talk to our men here for a few minutes. Am I doing okay tonight? Are y'all okay? All right. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, <clears throat> Timothy said, I will therefore, or excuse me, Paul said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. That men, not your wife doing it for you. That men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands, you could say this to me has a dual meaning. I, I believe he means that men pray everywhere, that men all over the world should pray. Men everywhere. Every race, culture, it don't matter. But I also believe that everywhere a man goes, it's okay to pray. And then he said to lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Two big, huge things that masculine men deal with is wrath, wrath and doubting. And then he said, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves... In modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, I'm going to come to that in a few minutes, not with broaded hair, gold, pearls, and costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness. 
and good works. So what does this mean? Let's talk about holiness for men. The things mentioned here are Paul is addressing the inherent nature of a man, in my opinion. He's addressing the inherent nature of a man. Men have a difficult time praying. Every, for the past 40 years that I've been in ministry, uh, especially when we were evangelizing, when the the, the church would call a a prayer meeting, oftentimes the, the pastors would say, I wished our men would come pray. They wouldn't. They'd stay at home and the wife would come pray. And I've heard through the years, all of my life, I've heard it all of my life, how people have testified for years how my mama could pray. I've heard very few people ever testify about what a great prayer warrior my dad was. And it's because men have a propensity not to pray. It's because of their masculine nature. They don't feel like they have to. I'm a man. I can take care of my stuff. I had somebody tell me, and I've told you this story before, they sat on my back patio one time a number of years ago, and I've never forgotten it, that said, I don't pray that much. I don't bother God with my stuff. I can handle it. Men have a problem, a difficulty, praying. Paul said, I will, therefore, that men pray. Men should pray. If women need to pray, then men need to pray. And it's not that women need to pray more than men. We're all human, no matter what, male or female. People need to pray. Praying is communicating with God. We all know tonight that, uh, especially in the, I don't know, past 10, 15, maybe 20 years, that a number of different counselors and different speakers and what have you have, have done seminars, marital seminars, marriage seminars especially, and they talk about how a man is, and they talk about how a woman is. And, and man, men operate this way, and women operate that way. Men think this way, women think that way. I have learned, and I'm as, as guilty as can be, but I've, I've used this statement numerous times, especially in marriage counseling, as women say often, I just can't get my husband to talk to me. Anybody want to go down that road tonight? Let me go down briefly and I'll make a quick U-turn and come back. I have two opinions about this. And I'm going to hurt everybody's feelings and I'm just going to do it all in one shot. I don't think men talk enough and I think sometimes women talk too much. If they could just come together, it would be amazing. But the, 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 the statement is this, is that men talk in headlines. They do. They just make a statement here and a statement there, and you decipher the rest. Women talk in paragraphs. Lots of paragraphs. And where men like to joke, and I like to joke and kid about it, is just the lady folks just love, they love words. Just, just want to say words. Who said amen? What do you know? I thought it was a 12-year-old up here. Amen, amen, amen. I wonder if he's talking about his mom and dad. I won't go down that path either. But 
But men have a problem oftentimes expressing themselves and talking. I'm, I'm being pretty general here tonight, but I think you get the point. Paul is addressing this when it comes to their relationship with God. Men talk to God in headlines. Well, God, I need your help today. If you get that much out of a man, I, I think God's doing pretty good. It's just they normally just say God or God or God in any other way you want to, whatever connotation you want to pronounce it, say the word with. Men have a difficult time praying for two reasons, either because they are afraid or they're proud. They're afraid to pray because of what they may feel that God is exposing or revealing to them, or they're too proud to admit that they need help. Now, again, this is a very broad stroke. A third reason men are hesitant to pray is because they may be intimidated by the strength and power of God. This is a man thing. Men oftentimes have a difficult time praying in front of their wife. I did when I first married. I do now to a certain degree, and here's, here's my statement, is I don't like to just go completely public with everything I'm wanting to say. If I'm going to say it, I would like a little privacy, uh, what have you. But I don't mind praying in front of my wife. I've, I've gotten over that. But men have a difficult time praying because they're afraid they're too proud that they need to admit they need help or they're intimidated by the strength, of, the strength of God. And men have a difficult time praying in front of their wife, have a difficult time praying in front of their girlfriend. They have a difficult time praying in front of their children, their fellow workers. Have you ever been in a mixed group of religious and non-religious people at a, at a table and you're, all the food has been served you in a restaurant and... You need to pray, but you know about half the people there don't really believe in it, and you don't know what to do. How many say, hey, everybody, let me have your attention here. I'm going to pray. Oh, my gracious heavenly Father, we're so thankful today. How many men do that? It's not many. It's many will say, hey, Bill, can you pass the salt? God, thank you for this food in Jesus' name. Amen. And then there we go. I'm just being honest here tonight. It's, it's a true statement. Men have a time praying, have a hard time praying sometimes because to them it's an admission of guilt or an admission of weakness. Prayer can also involve tears. And that can be a huge difficulty for men to be seen crying tears, shedding tears, whatever. The Bible commands men to pray. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts required, commands men to repent. That repentance is a part of prayer, and it's a commandment. But prayer humbles the man. Prayer purifies the man. And prayer builds character in the man. What is wrong with any of the above? What's wrong with that? If a man is going to be holy in the sight of God, he must pray. And there are no reasons or justifications for not doing it. Girls, you should never marry a man that doesn't pray or will not pray. If he won't pray, then he has serious issues with God, and he also has serious issues with his own manhood or lack thereof. If you don't see him up around the altars in church praying, don't date him. I don't care how cute he is, how much money he's got. Don't do it. Uh, been down this road many, many times, too many times with
a lot of different people. So the Bible says, I'm not going to have time to finish tonight. We'll get to the lady folks next Wednesday night. But the Bible teaches that a man, because the next verse addresses women, so it addresses particularly the man here, that a man should lift up holy hands. What does that mean? It means that a man is surrendered, submitted to God. Surrender and submission represents humility and servitude. Holy hands represent repentance and purity and cleanliness. A man should lift up holy hands. You shouldn't feel embarrassed. Men shouldn't feel embarrassed to lift up holy hands. I'm happy to say I'm surrendered to God. I would make a mess out of my life if God wasn't in it. And then the Bible said that men should lift up holy hands without wrath. That means the absence of wrath. It means the absence of bitterness. It means that the man has his basic carnal nature under submission to God. It means that the man is not full of anger and does not want to get revenge or be vindicated. It means that he's not toting a grudge. So to lift up holy hands without wrath. And then the third thing he mentioned was without doubting. It means he isn't skeptical. He's not always questioning. And It means the man can pray and that he's learned to take the word of God at face value. He has perfected faith in God. He's, protected, he's, he's, he's perfected his faith in God so that God would give him strength and the ability to provide and the time to be wise and what have you. All of this is encapsulated in those three little short statements that a man should lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. We understand tonight, and again, a, a fairly broad stroke, but the basic nature of a man is to do evil. The basic nature of a man is to be vile and corrupt and lustful, to hate, to have an ego, a chip on the shoulder. It's part of a man's nature oftentimes to be jealous and proud and boastful and hard-headed, possessive, competitive, to cheat, to be deceptive. Women can manifest these things, but they're, they're mostly a part of that sinful nature mostly by men where a lot of the outward uh, teaching of the word of God has to do uh, with women with appearance and whatnot men's holiness has more to do with his attitude it has more to do with his ability to conquer his own nature and submit to God and this is where men are so weak in my opinion especially in Christianity and in a relationship with God I also want to, to mention here tonight in conclusion, when the Bible teaches people to be modest and moderate and appropriate, that's male and female, both men and women, uh, men need to be modest as much as women do. Um, they need to be moderate and appropriate, and these things are certainly biblical. So. We hear more, we have heard all of my life, all of my life, and I believe there's people here tonight that could testify the same thing. Every time you hear the word holiness brought up, 99% of the time it's applied to women. At youth camp, camp meeting, district conference, revivals, crusades, seminars, whatever. And it's left our men without a standard. 
It's left our men without biblical teaching. What I've just said here tonight would go a long ways for a lot of men that I know. If you could conquer, if you could just do what the Bible teaches in reference to what I've just presented to you, more than half of your battle is won in your relationship with God. And women say, well, why can't men do that? Because it's easier said than done. For the same reason women can't do oftentimes what the Bible teaches them to do either. And a man would say, well, that's pretty simple to do. But we all fight against our nature. Both, both sexes do. We fight against our nature. But we've, I've, all of my life I've heard more teaching on holiness for women. And now we wonder why we have so many men in our churches that are so spiritually weak. So in conclusion tonight, I want to give our men four statements and a very strong biblical reference to it. We are to love our brother. Study the story of Cain. The Bible sets a tremendous precedent. We should not lust as men. Read the story of Samson and see what lusting after a woman got him into. And there's many other stories. Don't be carnal, men. Maintain your spirituality. Don't be carnal. Look at Esau. Look what he gave up so he could maintain his carnality. And certainly, gentlemen, don't love the world. Look at Demas. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So I want to conclude in like manner also. Then he talks about the lady folks, and we'll get into that next Wednesday night. So thank you. I hope tonight this drives the word of God home to all of us, that all of us need a fresh baptism of what God is looking for out of his people and out of his church. And I want you to consider tonight that people that choose not to embrace these things, look how much scripture they're dismissing out of their life. Consequently, look how much their relationship with God is lacking. Through the conduit of holiness, no man shall see the Lord, the Bible said, without it. You're just not going to see him without it. So help us pray about these things. Folks, maintain your walk with God. And uh, let's be as pleasing to God as we know how to be. What do you say? Thank the Lord. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. It's great to see all of you. Love all of you dearly. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you all Sunday morning. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.